With several things happening today, this uh, weekend in particular, I was remiss earlier and I forgot to mention, neglected to mention, a rather important announcement, and that is there will not be an evening worship uh, here tonight at 4545 North Meridian. Uh, And the reason there will not be a worship service here tonight is because we will all be meeting uh, downtown at the Riverwalk Church of Christ at 225 North Waco for our annual area-wide worship. And so I'd like to really encourage you to be there. Uh, It's good not just to worship, but that's always a good thing, but it's certainly good to worship with our brothers and sisters all over town uh, that we rarely get the opportunity to meet and to see. So even if you're not a normal Sunday night person, I hope that you'll make the plans to attend. That'll be 6 o'clock tonight at the Riverwalk Congregation, Riverwalk Church of Christ. Uh, The guest speaker is Chris Stewart, and I know he'll do a great job, and you will be blessed by this evening. So I hope we'll see you tonight at 6. His name was Albert Durer. He was an artist, and he practiced being an artist. He had very natural talent. It was about uh, in the 1500s or so. But he had not had enough experience to be great. He didn't have enough quality in his art to be able to sell his art and live off of it. He was what you might call a starving artist. Albert uh, had a friend who was a roommate, a fellow starving artist, and Albert and his friend made a pact, and the pact was simply this, that they would uh, room together and that one of them would focus 100% on his craft, on his art, on honing it, on refining it, on perfecting it, on making it world-class so that he could begin to live off his art. In the meantime, the other roommate would work as a day laborer and pay all the bills to keep the food on the table and the rent paid. And that was the agreement between the two. Albert, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, ended up being the first artist to focus completely on his work. And he did so for a time, refining and mastering his craft until he got so good he could begin to live off the art that he made. When it was his turn to go and support the other artists so he could focus 100%, there was a problem. You see, his roommate, uh, who had been a day laborer for some time, uh, after using his hands so much, they had become gnarled and stiff. And although they were usable, they would never be an artist's hands. They would never uh, be able to produce the quality of art that an artist needs to be able to produce to live off of. The roommate had made a true sacrifice. And it really broke Albert's heart. And so uh, he continued to um, live with his roommate, and he was producing art. One day he was painting a picture, and he heard some grumbling, some commotion in the next room. Thinking there might be a problem, he put the brush down, and he went into the next room where he saw his friend putting his gnarled hands together to pray over a meal. That picture was so indelibly impressed into Albrecht's mind that he used that moment to produce a very well-known picture that you probably know simply as Durer's praying hands. Those hands served Those hands worked. 
those hands would never uh, be the artist that they could have been because his friend was willing to do what needed to be done so Albrecht Durer could do what he had been called to do. Today is a special day at Northside where we celebrate the hands that do the work. See, hands are very interesting creation of God, and they have been, it's been the hands of servants that have been carrying the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. So that's what we're going to talk about today. As we think about praying hands and serving hands, I want to call you to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says very simply these words. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The the reason we make a big deal out of installing servants, out of recognizing our deacons, is that they do a very important job. And we're going to talk about that this morning. These men have been entrusted to do things that need to be done, And when they're done and done well, then our leaders can focus on the things that only they can do. The first story doesn't really call it Deacon Installation Sunday, but it it gives us an idea of the role of the men who serve. Found in Acts chapter 6, if you'll turn with me, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Luke writes this about the early church. He says, now in those days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the preaching of the word to serve tables. Now, is that kind of haughty? They think they were better, too good to serve tables? No, not at all. But it would be at the neglect of doing what they were called to do. So they said this, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, And Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They said before the apostles, these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7 goes on to say, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. As I said, this is the closest I can find to a deacon installation. You see, there's a problem. And as with any church that's growing and full of people, you're going to have problems. You're going, not necessarily problems, but just things that come up. Things that need to be handled. Things that our elders and our staff could do. But when they do those things, they do them to the neglect of the things they are called to do. The problem was that the widows were being neglected. Uh, First, they had... Several options of solutions. Number one, they could have ignored it. And just help the hope the problem goes away on its own. And we all know what happens there. The enemy will use the problem 
to grow a, a split between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, and there would be a, a split in the early young church. The second problem is that the apostles could have come and handled it. They could have said, well, we'll just handle it. We'll do it. And they were good-hearted men who loved Jesus and certainly loved the widows, so I don't doubt they could have done it. The problem is they would have, with only having 24 hours in a day, neglected praying and ministering the word and leading churches that they were called to do. They chose instead a third option, and that was to have the 12. Uh, they, they chose for the 12 to delegate it so that they could focus on what they were called to do. When they chose the third option, the scripture is clear that what happened is that they grew and more and more people continued to be served. In any group, whether it's family or school or athletics or work, you've got to have the right people doing the right things. I'll look at the teenagers for just a second because they know that I love them. Did you know that tomorrow when you go to school, your teachers are fully capable of doing all the work that they assign you? Did you know that? They can handle all of those problems. They could do it all for you and for everyone in your class. They are well equipped to do so. And you'd probably be okay with that too. The problem is that when you graduate from high school, there will be a, a very large problem. And that is, you won't know how to do it. So in a school, a teacher has to do the right thing so that the students can do the right thing. The principal has to do the right thing so the teacher can do the right thing so the students can do the right thing. That's not just true at your level. That's true at all levels. They have to have the right people doing the right thing. Another example, my job, my main job, is to preach and teach every week. And you say, okay, that accounts for an hour. Good work if you can get it, I guess. Now, the truth is, uh, an hour takes a lot, a ton of study and prep and editing and refining and getting it right and thinking about what to say and thinking about what not to say. But the truth is... If I can brag for just a minute, I can do a lot of other things. I mean, you have never heard someone answer the phone like me. I can write letters and emails. I can handle that. I, I can uh, just keep you absolutely pulled in by the depth and the grip of my writing. I could manage the website. I could handle the database. I could do all of that. But the truth is, if I did all of that, then I'd be really terrible at preaching and, in truth, really terrible at all the other things, too. You see, if I try to do everything, I'll end up doing nothing, and my wife will hate me, and my children won't have a father. Because I'll neglect the thing that only I can do. The same is true in a church. The elders can do lots of things. The question is, should they? The scripture tells us that the shepherds should be focused on the large, weighty matters of a church, like prayer and ministry of the word and vision for the family and care for the sheep. And if they are out sweeping the parking lot, that's not that they won't do a good job. But they're neglecting what they could be doing and what they should be doing. 
The elders could teach all the classes. The elders could do, could lead the entire worship. We wouldn't have to get any volunteers. But they would neglect what they should be doing. And that is unwise. It is also unhealthy. We need them to focus their time and energy and prayer on the large matters and the things that only God has called them to do. There's a story in Exodus chapter 18, a story of a great leader, a man of God, a man who has a tremendous reputation, and he was good at nearly everything he did. The man's name was Moses, and he was called to lead God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. And as he did that, Scripture records an interesting story in Exodus chapter 18. Now, I love this story because it tells of not just Moses, but of Moses' father-in-law. He watched Moses. He was impressed with Moses. He heard all the Lord, all the good that the Lord had done for his people using Moses. But Jethro, as any good father-in-law can do, could look at his son and see that he was handling way more than he should be doing. And in Exodus chapter 18, he watched as Moses stood the entire day and handled all of these trivial cases. And he sat Moses down and in the most spiritual language that he could muster said, Moses, you're an idiot. What you're doing is not good. And so he came up with a plan. What you need to do is spread this around. And yes, there are some cases that only you can decide. You need to decide those things. But for the ones that others can decide, you need to enlist their help so that you can focus on the vision and the ministry that only God has given you. And so we need to learn from that wonderful father-in-law that we can do some things, but we should not do everything. Healthy churches must entrust a lot of quality people to handle the problems and the ministries without a lot of micromanagement. Unhealthy churches have fewer people doing lots of things and exasperated leaders who do everything and yet achieve nothing. So what would this look like if we could put Luke's words into the modern vernacular? Acts chapter 6, the revised Northside Version. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, there were lots of good and necessary things, including tending to the facilities, directing a work camp, keeping people safe and secure. These things needed to be managed well, and the seven summoned the full number of the Northside disciples at 4545 North Meridian, and they said, It is not right that we should neglect prayer, teaching of the word, caring for members, and setting the vision for the Northside family. Therefore, brothers... Select from among you three men of good repute, full of spirit, of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word and to caring for members and setting the vision for this family. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Bob, Drew and James. Therefore, they set before the elders and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Wichita, and many became obedient to the faith. Well, if these men are so entrusted, then these have to be a certain quality of men. Deacons must be 
trustworthy. And that's very important because the things which they tend to, our elders need to be able to say, this is what we want done, and then ask them to do that. And the elders need to not be able to have to worry about it, trouble about it, check in on it, micromanage it. They just need to be assured that it's in good hands and that those hands will take care of what they've been entrusted to do. And so if we're going to put those men in that position and their wives in that position, they must be trustworthy people. This is how Paul describes it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. He says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Also, and let them first be also tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. These men have been entrusted with something, so they must be trustworthy. They need to be men who are uh, of a certain quality. The word diakonos, a deacon in your Bible, is simply diakonos in the original text. And the word simply means a servant. And that's the best job description I can think of. So when you put Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 together, you sum up the kind of men to look for. First, dignified and sober-minded. They're respectable. They're serious about the responsibility. They don't take it lightly. Uh, Another way to ask, to think of it for these men, men, will you leave the ministry that you are entrusted with today better than you found it? That's a good question as to whether you're dignified and serious-minded. Secondly, they've got to be tested and blameless. They can't be a rookie. We've given thought to them. We've, we've observed the fruit of their lives. We've prayed over them. Now, they don't have to be perfect, but they do have to be of a good reputation. People who know how to serve and have experienced getting their hands dirty. Third, they have to have good wives, respectable wives. She will be a help to him in the ministry. She will be an example to others. Uh, and to other women in the congregation. She, can't, she has to be dignified herself. She can't be a slanderer. She has to have the great spiritual gift of being able to keep her mouth shut. Because she's going to handle sensitive issues. She's going to handle people issues. And if she's always talking and, and murmuring and gossiping and slandering, well, that will cause a great deal of harm and hurt in a church. She needs to be sober-minded, temperate, self-controlled, and balanced judgment. And, of course, she needs to be faithful to the Lord. He needs to be a leader, someone that you can look at his family and say he has led well in his, with his wife and with his children. He needs to be responsible. We just need to say the word, and those deacons will handle it well. They need to be reliable. We need to entrust that when we ask for something to be done They're able to get it done without prodding. They need to be wise because they're going to be working with people. And they need to be spirit-led. Controlled by the spirit. Led by his leading and, of course, centered in the word. Now, the Bible doesn't exactly say what types of duties the deacons should have. So the elders of the church have the discretion to decide what needs to be done. Why all the fuss over servants? Well... Very simply this, 
Because the wrong man or the wrong or his wife in, in such a position can easily do a great deal of damage and harm to a church. But the right man and his wife will make our leaders' jobs easier and allow them to focus on what needs to be done in the kingdom. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any prescription on how to appoint deacons or how long they should serve, only the type and quality of people that they should be. As such, uh, at most churches, being a deacon is a lifelong appointment. That's different here at Northside. Once uh, we don't do a lifetime appointment with our deacons, what we do is a two-year cycle. Uh, the reason we do this is that the responsibilities and the demands of men can certainly change over time. To not recognize this fact makes normal deacon appointing strenuous for both the deacon, because he has to serve till he's 70, and for the church, because what he was appointed to do may need to change over time. This allows men to step down due to changes in their family, their work, or even their life. A church may need a man to step down because of the changes in our mission or our direction as well. And so at Northside, we have all our deacons serve in two-year commitments. At the end of that time, both we as a church and the deacons reevaluate their area of service and their ability to serve. It's a pretty good system that works well for us here at Northside and recognizes the realities of life and serves the family well. This year, we have two men who have been deacons who will be stepping down from the role of deacon. Those men are Cole Douglas and Ben Tyson. And we would like to thank you both for all you've done and continue to do here for the body at Northside. We appreciate your willingness to serve, to use, to have willing hands and willing hearts. After we can give uh, consideration to the current needs of the congregation, we ask and can uh, pray over men who we think would be good for that position. You all were asked for your input and consideration of those men, and today... These men will be appointed. Starting today, we will have 14 men serving as deacons at Northside. These men will manage many of the ministries and needs of the Northside family. When they do their work well, it allows our elders to do what they need to do as well. We have 11 men currently serving as deacons. Uh, they have agreed to serve two more years. Uh, men, if you are... Uh, a deacon here this morning, as, I, as you see your picture and as I call your name, I'm going to ask you to come be seated on the front row. Uh, the first is Jim Andrews. Jim is the class leader, uh, handles all the coordination of our adult Bible classes, and pictured there with his wife, Frida. Next is Jerry Clothier. Jerry heads up our library ministry, does a great job. He and his wife, Hazel, uh, have handled that for a long time. And do a great work. Charles Gardner uh, will be the deacon over worship. Uh, Charles has done this for a long time. is very skilled at it. And uh, has uh, managed it well. And we, uh, is good at leading it. And also good in organizing worship each week. Craig Greenwood heads up family camp. Uh, there with his uh, wife Becky. And they have done that for a while. Family camp is always a wonderful experience for the Northside family. Uh, they put a lot of time and effort into planning themes, curriculums, teachers, 
making sure that goes off without a hitch. Justin Harold is the deacon over our uh, small groups. Uh, he handles the organization, the implementation, curriculum, uh, all of the details that have to be handled in meeting the small groups ministry. It's not only been successful, but it's been growing, and uh, he and his wife Donna do a great job. Joe, Her- uh, Joe Holmes and, uh, is in charge of the small accounts payable ministry, uh, pictured there with his wife Carol. Uh, Joe handles most any check that needs to be written of a small amount. If you need reimbursed for something, uh, Joe is the guy you want to know. He's a very popular guy here at Northside. Next is Tim Cachero. Tim heads up uh, the ushers, and Tim is often very, very busy out in the foyer and at the back, making sure our guests have plenty of seating, making sure that they are... uh, served well, and that's not an easy job to do, making sure we have plenty of men uh, to handle uh, getting people to where they need to be seated, and occasionally he'll come in and ask me to have everybody scoot in. Uh, and he has me do that, so nobody gripes at him. <laughs> Tim and Tim does a great job. Uh, then Greg Sandlin, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, Sean Litton uh, handles the Know Your Bible accounting. He has handled the Know Your Bible books for a long time, and Serves that ministry very well, and uh, he makes sure that all of the, the proceeds that are directed to Know Your Bible are accounted for properly. Then, Greg Sandlin. Uh, Greg is our finance deacon, and he handles all of the counting and the record keeping and the, all of the um, anything that has to do with finance usually comes a, across Greg's desk. He's very busy with that. Uh, is always looking for good people to help who can count, who can uh, make sure that everything's above board. And we appreciate the work that he does. And they're pictured with his wife, Cleta, and their family. Heading up the Benevolence Ministry is Mike Yolman. Mike Yolman uh, and uh, Randy Short and a team of others are doing uh, great work making sure that we serve the family well here at Northside with benevolent needs that need tending to, and also for those in the community. So we appreciate their hearts and also their faithfulness in serving. And finally, Tony Weber heads up our greeters and makes sure that they get the right people in the right place to meet our guests as they come to our facility. And then once they're here, make sure they're uh, led to the proper places and introduced to the um, places and the people that they should be introduced to. A lot of team, a team of uh, folks helping them as well. Today we are uh, bringing in, as I said, three men. And uh, in addition to these 11 men that uh, are serving currently, who have agreed to serve two more years, we have these three additional men we're going to ask these three men to come on the stage and stand up to my right, which will be your left, uh, as your picture appears. Uh, Bob Arrow is going to be our deacon in charge of facility management. Uh, Bob's been uh, working around here for a long time anyway, and he handles anything and everything. Um, and uh, it's okay for Rhonda to come up here as well if she would like to, but. Yes. Okay, that would be good if you did. (laughs) Show him how supportive you are. (laughs) Um, 
he and Rhonda do a lot of good, not just in facilities, but taking care of lots of things, everything from the nursery to helping at funerals, uh, in addition to taking care of everything from top to bottom that needs to be handled. So uh, we're looking forward to them, uh, to Bob serving, and, and uh, we recognize that they've been already doing a great deal of work. Next up, we'll be in charge of Wichita Work Camp, uh, Drew Lowry, and Drew's going to come up with his wife, Ruth. Uh, Drew has, is a great servant. Drew and Ruth both are great servants at Northside. Uh, Drew's been working uh, with work, Wichita Work Camp, I can tell you firsthand, for a long time and knows the ins and the outs of it and has agreed to take some burden off of Mike. And so he and, uh, and uh, a whole team of Northsiders are going to be uh, making sure that Wichita Work Camp happens. Uh, Drew and Ruth are both great under rowers here at Northside, and there's a lot that they do. Uh, far and above what I can tell you about here, but they uh, work with the women's conference and back in the sound booth and uh, work camp and more. So we appreciate them being willing uh, to serve, and we appreciate Drew being willing to uh, step into the role as deacon over Wichita Work Camp. And finally, uh, James Pierman will be the deacon over safety and security, um, and uh, and his wife Julie, and they're going to come up and James is exactly the kind of guy you want to be in charge of safety and security. He, he looks intimidating. He, um, I'm a little bit fearful right now as he comes up. I, <laughs> I thought it would be cool to call him the deacon over bouncing, but I didn't think that was good decorum. James is one of our many local sheriffs here at Northside. Uh, he not only makes sure the parking lot is safe and the building and grounds, but also makes sure that you and your family are safe here at Northside. He and his wife, Julie, again, another set of well-dedicated uh, servants uh, with helpful hearts. I know they've hosted the ladies' Bible summer studies, study, summer ladies' Bible studies in her home. Uh, she does that with two little ones at home and a lot of other responsibilities. So we appreciate your servant hearts, and we appreciate James being willing to step into the role as deacons. I'm going to ask our elders to come to the stage and stand to my left, please. Our elders and shepherds believe uh, these men are worthy of respect and uh, dignified, sincere, honest, and trustworthy. What's happening is uh, these are the hands that are going to help uh, these men as they lead and uh, guide the family here at Northside. Uh, we uh, to install you as deacons is a great honor, and we believe that you are not only qualified, but you are trustworthy of such a great responsibility. Um, as such, as we ask you to serve at deacon, as deacons at Northside, one of our elders, Clayton McCullough, will pray over you, and uh, the rest of our elders will stand behind you and, and uh, pray for you as well. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Lord God, we come before your throne this morning, exalting you as our God and King. Great as our Lord and worthy of praise, we will speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty. We will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. This morning we come with specific prayers for our servants who will be identified as deacons of this body of believers. Men who have been tested, men who have been prepared prepared to serve this body and have already been doing that. We take this opportunity to honor these men for what they have already been doing and what they will do for us in the future. 
There are many things the world would try to tell us makes a good leader, but we have the best example of any leader, that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As he walked this earth and trained his disciples, he showed us what a true leader is. He showed us that to be a good leader, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So, Lord, I pray that you will instill in each of these men's heart that love and that passion. Help these men and their wives understand that the way, the way that he continually guarded that love, the way that he created that relationship was through prayer. How many times do we see Jesus go to a remote or quiet place to pray, to commune with his Father? I pray that each of these men will grow, that they will grow in their prayer life, and that their power of prayer will be seen in their ministries, that your Spirit will lead them, and your power will be seen in all that they do. Jesus also showed us a true servant in that upper room as he took a towel and washed his disciples' feet. Men, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts from pride. Jesus said, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed to do them. Lord, I pray that you will put a hedge of protection around these men and their families. For we know the enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and when your work is being done to the glory of your kingdom, he will be there to disrupt it. Help these men to always stand firm in what Christ has done for each of us. Lord, help each one of these to understand the spiritual conditioning for servant leadership that took place as Jesus went through the fasting in the desert. When tempted by three of the most universal and powerful temptations of a leader, Instant gratification, recognition and applause, and improper use and lust for power. Jesus was at his spiritual best. He used your word. He used the word of God. He had stored up in his heart and in his mind to confront and defeat the devil. Help these men to always seek your word. Lord, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their willingness to serve the needs of this body. I also want to raise up the men who will continue serving in the roles that they have been serving over the past two years. I pray that they will recommit to those roles and that, that they will find joy in the service they provide. I pray that the love of each of these men may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I thank you for the men who have served these last two years and decided to step out of those roles. I pray that they will continue to seek you and that you will show them what you have in store for them in the future. Men, as Paul prayed for the church at Philippi, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Always seek him in all that you do, and never forget that it is through his spirit and his power that you are able to do your work. So always praise his name, never allowing pride to raise its head. May each of you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant on that final day. Lord, we thank you for these men, 
And we thank you for their wives and their servant hearts. May you continue to watch over them and draw them ever closer to you. We raise this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Clayton. I'll now ask for uh, that our uh, elders can rejoin their families. And uh, for the deacons that are seated, I'll ask you to stand and face the congregation. Just stand along the bottom edge of the stage here. Face the congregation, please. And Bob, Drew, and James, you may join your fellow deacons at the bottom of the stairs. And wives, you may be seated. Now I want to ask uh, the 14 men that stand in front of you to do something. Because while you may know these 14 men, the way which that you will really know them is this. Men, will you stick out your hands, please? Yep, that's you. <laughs> okay. These 28 hands are going to be your servants. These are the ones that are going to carry our family. They're going to be seen. Many of them will be unseen. They are going to be the hands that serve, the hands that help, the hands that guide, the hands that lead. I I pray that you will make their hands, uh, how they use them, a joy. All right, gentlemen, you can put your hands down because I know you're really uncomfortable. I pray that two years from now, the areas where your hands have served will found to be growing and healthy and well-managed. I pray that you will continue to live out the qualities Paul described in your lives with your families and wherever you serve. Thank you for letting the spirit rule in both your hands and your hearts. And thank you for helping our elders bear their burden and make our work as a family better. You may be seated. Elders, I commend you for your discernment and your wisdom in selecting areas that need servants and the appropriate men to minister and to serve. Well, as you can tell, uh, it's an important day at Northside. As a Northside member, you're getting a picture of one of the big parts of our culture, and that is service, the under rowers, those who serve so willingly and so faithful, faithfully. But that's not just a Northside thing. That should be a Christian thing. The Apostle Peter wrote, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We serve and we help others in serving because, as Clayton prayed, Jesus set that example. The best known example of his service was when he took a knee and a towel uh, to wash his disciples' feet. But that's not his best example of service. The best example of service from Jesus, is when he laid down his life on that cross for the benefit of you and I. This morning, if you aren't in Christ and you're ready to be in Christ and to follow him and, yes, to serve him, well, the first step to do that is by faith and repentance and laying down your life in the waters of baptism. I want to call you to trust him, to turn away from sin and to have your sins forever washed Not in the water, but in the blood. And I pray that that will happen if you need it to happen. Or if we can help and encourage you and pray with you in some other way, 
If you have a need, please come forward as together we stand and sing.